What's up everyone? Good morning and welcome to our online Water's Edge Sunday morning worship experience once again. Thank you so very much for hanging out with us today and tuning in. For those of you that continue to like and share these digital messages with your circle of influence, thank you so very much for doing that. Continue to do that. And also, like we say every week, for those of you that continue to worship with us online through generosity and meeting our new $10 challenge, thank you so very much. That allows us to help more people, serve more people, and feed more people. In fact, our next food pantry is coming up at the beginning of May. We expect to feed about 2000 thousand people from our community on that day and as you worship with us through giving and generosity that helps us bless our community also stay tuned for right after my message for an amazing time of worship from the amazing Waters Edge Band today we continue with our current series entitled the investigation and like we all know when you investigate something you have to do some digging and this is what we're digging into today as we move on with part five in this series and this is what it is if we're going to take the mystery of Jesus Seriously, the mystery of knowing Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus, and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ seriously, then we have to answer this question How does God really view all people? Now, today I think this will be very interesting and eye opening for all of us because today I want to talk to you about a wardrobe option that we should all try to avoid. There's certain wardrobe options that I try to avoid, but today we're going to talk about something that we should all take off and we should never wear it again. And this is what it is, and notice this today, it's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness never looks good on anyone. And because I've had a lot of experience with this, because I've grown up in religion, I've grown up in churches, I have had a lot of experience with people who are self-righteous. I have noticed this, and I want you to notice this today, the truth is Self-righteous people are very rarely self-aware. Let me say that again. Self-righteous people are usually self-righteous because they're rarely self-aware. They just don't realize it most of the time. But when self-righteous people walk into the room, most people usually, after a little while, start to push away from them. Or when they're around them on social media, they start to mute them or unfollow them. And the reason why is because self-righteous people always come across as judgy. They always make people feel judged. And you can sense their self-righteousness from a mile away whenever they're around people. Everyone knows they are wearing this wardrobe. They're wearing their self-righteousness. But most of the time, it's like they can't see it. Other people can see it, but they can't. And they usually hide their judgments under their self-righteous arguments. They have pre-prepared their self-righteous arguments, and they hide their self-righteous behind these arguments. Now, anytime you hear this term, being self-righteous, we usually think about religious people. And it's true, probably some of the most judgy and self-righteous people you will ever meet go to church. But that's not always true. In fact, you will meet a lot of self-righteous people who don't even believe in the existence of God. So whether what they believe or not about church or God really doesn't come into play, most people are simply self-righteous because they're not self-aware. And the problem is this, and notice this as we move on. They feel righteous in being self-righteous. Their self-righteousness makes them feel right. And this is what I mean. They don't mind hurting people and they don't mind offending people because they always hide it under the banner of protecting their issues 
or protecting their beliefs or the way they see the world. So what happens is this. Self-righteous people develop a view or a belief about an issue and everyone who does not agree with them gets labeled by them as a bad person. They get judged by them. They're bad people. And so if you have a view about life and the world so entrenched in your soul that it becomes a part of your identity, then you start to hold other people who don't agree with you as bad people or just pieces of trash. How dare them not agree with your views? You feel righteous in your views, so all the people who disagree with you must be bad people. And you have people like this on every single side of every single belief. You have people like this on every single side of every single issue. So this is self-righteousness. Not only do you think that your view is right, but you start to believe that you are more righteous than other people who don't see things the way that you do. People who are not self-aware automatically start to dismiss everyone who disagrees with them. And because self-righteous people think they are righteous, they start to see everyone who disagrees with them as unrighteous. Let me say that again. Because self of people who are not self-aware and because people who are self-righteous think they are righteous, they start to view everyone who disagrees with them as unrighteous. And so notice this today. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. When a view about anything gives us an excuse to be judgmental and disrespectful, you may be right, but you are not righteous. And this is is according to Jesus. Now, let me give you some background to this series that we've been in called The Investigation, in case you're just joining us. We've been talking about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how the four Gospels are actual eyewitness accounts of the real life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his love, his teachings, his miracles, how he healed people, how he fed people, how he served people, how he raised people from the dead, how he taught people, and also how he died and rose from the grave. And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did not think that they were writing something that would one day be in a Bible, one day considered scripture, one day considered a part of a religion or religious literature. They were just writing down real, actual, historical events that they witnessed and other people had they were eyewitnesses of. And so if what the gospels say about Jesus is true, even if it was, say, mostly true, we have to take following Jesus very, very seriously. And we talked about this. The question to struggle with is not, is God real or is God there? But the question to wrestle with is this. Are the four gospels actual, reliable accounts of the life of Jesus? Because, again, even if they're just mostly reliable, then we must take following Jesus very very seriously and so we've been in the gospel of Luke and Luke was a doctor and Luke even said this at the beginning of his gospel that many people have set out to write actual accounts eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus and we pointed this out there was a lot of famous people that lived back in the days of Jesus a lot of great men and a lot of great women who did extraordinary things but not many people are writing about them and not many things are writing about them so what was it about Jesus where many people set out to write many things about Jesus even at the end of the gospel of John he said this if we were to write down everything Jesus said and did everything that he did out of love the whole world and the libraries in the world couldn't contain the books that should be written so what was it about Jesus well it was about his resurrection so today 
we find ourselves in Luke chapter 15. And Luke thought that as you and I investigate Jesus, and as we consider Jesus, and as we consider following Jesus again, that this was a very important story. In fact, one of the most important stories that we should know about Jesus. And so we pick up today in Luke chapter 15. But you have to understand something. The story of Jesus telling, if you want to understand it, you have to understand the context of this story. And Jesus, as he was telling this story, he was telling this story for two different groups of people. So if you really want to get the point, the heart of what Jesus was saying, you have to know both groups. You have to understand the context. And so let's investigate this today. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now you got to understand something back then. The reason why it just didn't say sinners, bad sinners, and notorious sinners were gathered around Jesus and they would often go to Jesus to hear him teach. The reason why it said tax collectors and other notorious sinners is because back then you had sinners and then you had tax collectors that were worse than sinners. It was almost like this. Back then you could say, if you're not a tax collector, just a sinner, you say, well, mom... At least I'm not a tax collector. I know I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not a tax collector. They were considered as evil as the Samaritans. They're unclean. And it was amazing to me that they would flock to Jesus, that Jesus was a magnetic force to the most broken of society. Like I pointed out over the past couple of weeks, the people back in the days of Jesus that were the most unlike Jesus loved Jesus the most and gathered around Jesus. And the people that lived like Jesus the most hated Jesus the most. And the church has not gotten that right because you got to understand people are not flocking to our churches today. The most broken of society are not running to our churches on the weekends to hear what we have to say. They usually run away. And this is the reason why today most churches are self-righteous. But back in the days of Jesus, Jesus was righteous, but he was also self-aware, so he was not self-righteous. We move on in this passage. This made the Pharisees... And the teachers of religious law complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. It bothered the religious people because they thought if Jesus was really from God, then these sinful people would run away from Jesus just like they were running away from them. Let me say that again. It bothered the religious leaders that the most broken and sinful of society were running to Jesus and hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus was loving on them because if Jesus really came from God, God who they, they say they represented, then they thought these sinners should be running away from Jesus just like they were running away from them. But if Jesus was worried about guilt by association because that's what they were practicing back then, they were labeling Jesus as a sinner because he was around sinners. They were practicing guilt by association just like religious people do today. But if Jesus was really worried about guilt by association, he would have never left heaven and came to this earth. But here's the truth about us, and let me tell you this. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. Most of us know deep down in our hearts that we are a part of the unrighteous group. If you and I were honest, we would have to admit in our hearts, we would have to admit publicly that we're a part of this unrighteous group. But outward, because of our image, we all tend to lean towards the self-righteous category. And because we're always asking this question, as religious people, we're always asking this. What is wrong with those people? Why are they that way? Those people, they, 
as if to say they are not as good as us because I am not like them. Now back to the story. In this story, both groups are very confused about what God is like. The people in the unrighteous category feel like they're so far away from God that God wants to have nothing to do with them. And the people in the self-righteous category think that they're so holy that God only wants them and God only wants to love them. And so this group, both of these groups need to hear these stories and these parables about lost things to understand who God is and how God really loves and how God views all people. And so Jesus had to tell these stories to help them understand this is how God loves all people and this is how God views all people. And so we move on in this passage, Luke chapter 15. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost, know that word lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found, notice this, my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns back to God than over 99 others who are righteous and they have not strayed away. So understand something right here, that the heart of God is like the shepherd. You and I are the lost sheep and God is preoccupied, preoccupied with the ones who have wandered away. He is preoccupied with the lost. We move on. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she's going to call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. So understand something that in this story, God is representative of the woman who's lost a coin and she is preoccupied with finding her lost coin. God is preoccupied with the lost. And when what is lost is found, there's a party. There's a celebration. There's not shame. There's not guilt. There is a celebration. We move on. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And this is the heart of it. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father... I want my share of my money, your estate, my inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired slaves and servants have food enough to spare and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home now to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me back as even a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him. I've told you many times before, back in the days of Jesus, the patriarchs didn't run. It was too undignified because it would show their leg hair. 
But in this story, the patriarch, the father, did not care about his dignity. He ran to his lost son because he cared more about his son that was lost than his dignity and his glory. God's main concern is not his glory. If you've ever been taught that God's primary concern is his glory, that is a lie. His primary concern is you and your heart and your life and loving you. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick. Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening, for we must celebrate with a feast. There's a celebration again. For this time, the son of mine was dead. Now he's returned to life. He was lost. There's that word lost again. But now he is found. So the party began. Now here's the other part of the story and this is the part that the religious leaders who were so upset about Jesus hanging around with the most broken of society needed to hear. Meanwhile, the older son, understand that we're all the younger son, but many times we act like the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. He stayed in the backyard kicking a can. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you asked of me. And in all that time, you've never given me anything, not a feast, not a party with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf, the best one we have. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead, but he's come back to life. And this is what he meant. He was lost, but now he is found. Understand something that the older brother was so upset because he didn't run away and he never got a party. But his younger brother who ran away and he did wrong when he came back, he got a party and it angered him. I'm not like him. I'm not like those people. He doesn't deserve this treatment. I am more righteous than him. And so it upset him. How do we as people of faith who claim to follow Jesus, how do we view people who are hurting, broken, struggling, and different than us? Do we view them as something valuable to God? as someone that God considers worth chasing after? Do we understand that those people that are broken and different than us, that God is preoccupied with them, just like a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, and he's willing to leave everything behind and chase after them? We are all at times the younger brother, but many times when you and I get too much religion and we're not self-aware and we become self-righteous, we all act like the older brother. And so the point in these stories was this. Jesus told these stories to help all people who felt far, far, far away from God 
understand that God loves them like a perfect parent and they will always be welcome back home. You are always welcome back home, no matter what, where you've been, what you've done, what your past is, what people say about you. You are always welcomed back home. And Jesus told these stories to help them who felt far away from God because of religion understand that no matter what. But he also told these stories for another reason, for the other group that was listening on that day, for the religious self-righteous group, the religious people who were upset that Jesus was loving on the tax collectors and the sinners to help them understand how the real sin was not just running away. But in this story, the real and the darkest sin was this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. It's being self-righteous. Even the missionary Paul said, the darkest temptation that I am the most afraid of giving into with my entire life is being self-righteous. He said, because of that, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble so I would not be self-righteous because that is the darkest thing that we could all give into. So the other point to these stories that Jesus was driving home was this. If you want to know what God would do, If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God loves, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God accepts, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God forgives, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God feeds and serves and views all people, look at Jesus. Jesus is what God is like, and anything that's not like Jesus is not like God. Now, this is very, very interesting. We go back to that word in these parables, that word, lost. The Greek word for lost in these parables is the same word that we find in the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16. And notice what it is. The Greek word for lost is this, for whosoever believes in him should not perish or die. But it really reads this way, and notice this today. For whosoever believes in him should not be lost. For whosoever believes in him should no longer be lost, but we should live. We no longer, as believers, are lost without direction and guidance. We have it now in Jesus. We are no longer lost without hope and encouragement. We have it now in Jesus. We are no longer lost without significance and purpose. We have it now in Jesus. We are no longer lost without love and second chances. We have it now in Jesus. What if we started looking at all people as not bad or good? Godly or ungodly, righteous or unrighteous, holy or unholy. But what if we started looking at all people as lost or found and hurting? That would change how we loved everyone and how we viewed everyone. Now let me tell you a story. Not too long ago, I got invited to a crawfish boil at one of my old friend's houses. And a lot of my old friends from high school, college, church camp was going to be there. And the friend's house that we went to for the crawfish boil had a swimming pool. And about halfway through the crawfish boil, you know how dudes can get when beer's involved. They started pushing each other into the swimming pool. They would walk up behind somebody and surprise them and push them into the swimming pool. Well, I had no desire on this day to get surprised and pushed into a cold swimming pool. I didn't have any change of clothes, and I really didn't want to mess up this amazing hair. So I kept my back away from everyone, and I was watching everyone. So because they realized that, at one point, they tried to drag me into it. You know how dudes do. They tried to grab me by the arms and drag me into this pool. And what do we do anytime someone tries to drag us into a swimming pool when we don't want to go in? We plant our feet, and we resist, and we pull back. That's what we do. 
We've done it as kids, as adults, crawfish boils, whatever. We plant our feet and resist, and we pull back as hard as we can. And when it comes to this temptation of being self-righteous, you and I must do everything we can to not end up like these religious people and like this older brother. You and I must do everything we can, like Paul said, to plant our feet and resist and pull back from this temptation of being self-righteous and not being self-aware. We have to plant our feet and love people with the love of God. I want to close with this amazing passage, 1 John chapter 4. Verses 9 through 17. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely are to love each other. No one has ever seen God But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us a spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our very own eyes and now testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God has God living in them, and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. How can we not be afraid on the day of judgment? By living in love like Jesus. Not being self-righteous, but by living in love like Jesus. Thank you so very much for tuning in today and hanging out with us. Stay tuned for the amazing Water's Edge Band. We cannot wait to see you back next week. We love you all.